So, Caitlin. Yes? Who are we canceling today? How about we cancel the usual suspects in cancel culture discourse? You know, girl, I'm always down. <laughs> always. <laughs> I'm so excited for this one. <laughs> hey, everyone. I'm Caitlin Burns. And I'm Olive Rash Klein. And you're listening to Cancel Me Daddy. The show where we take a closer look at all of the panic around cancel culture. With thoughtful analysis. And verbal shitposting. So, so Caitlin, you you just moved. I did. How, how is that going? This is our first show from the new uh, co-headquarters of the Cancel Me Daddy Worldwide podcast. <laughs> um, it's been great, you know. Uh, I mean, moving sucks, first of all. Yes. Um, loading the truck. Like, I got a U-Haul, and loading the U-Haul absolutely sucked, sucked ass. Um, like, I had four friends... And the way my old apartment was set up, like we had to bring stuff from my apartment down a hall to the service elevator, down to the bottom of the service elevator, and then down another hallway and through the parking garage out to the truck. And it was a nightmare. Just listening to you say that makes me tired. There like, were thinking about that. There were five of us. I had a 20 foot U-Haul. And it took us five hours to load the entire thing. So I was hoping to get on the road to go north. I mean, back to New England. I'm not going to say exactly where. Um, I was hoping to leave D.C. by noon, and I left at 3.30. So it took us three and a half hours longer than I thought. And, you know, it was interesting. I was My muscles were so tired after loading the truck that I actually drove straight through all the way to my new place. Um, once I got in there, because I sat down and I was like, oh, it feels really nice to be sitting because I hadn't sat down all day. <laughs> and at that point, like, yeah, I, I just drove straight through. I got in at about midnight. I dropped the cat off at the new place and then <laughs> took the U-Haul full of all of my belongings to a, a nearby hotel. Um, and then thankfully, my parents came the next day. I decided somewhere around New Jersey that I wanted to hire a couple of guys to unload like the heavy stuff out of the truck. Makes sense. So thankfully U-Haul has like a website that you can go on to like hire just two dudes to show up to unload your truck, which is really cool. Nice. Um, it was like $230. So they, they came and they got like almost everything into my apartment my couch would not fit which was very sad we had to mm -hmm. we had to get rid of the couch i had to order a new one that was smaller um but yeah the new place is is great it's in a really quiet suburban location um and uh you know much closer to family now so can't complain <laughs> Nice. Uh, I'm so happy that you are in a place that, that you want to be more now and you're happier. Yeah. Having said that, <laughs> it is more expensive here. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if you've been thinking about supporting us on Patreon for our show, now is a particularly good time to try to do so. <laughs> that was really craven. <laughs> <laughs> I am not above desperation, Oliver. 
<laughs> I mean, look, listen. Um, so basically, we have a number of tiers and we have added some new tiers to our Patreon mm-hmm. um, because we realize that if everyone just gives like one, everyone who listens just gives us a dollar, we could make a weekly show. And so we now have a dollar and a three dollar tier for our tippers mm-hmm. and super tippers. We also have, if you want to join our Discord and have conversations, get episodes early, things like that. And you can find out more about all of that at patreon.com slash cancel me daddy. And we have a really exciting show for you today. Instead of having a lot of like buildup or whatever to it, we're just going to get to it. So let's go. Today, we're so excited to have Michael Hobbs on the show. He hosts the podcast Maintenance Phase. You might remember Michael. He is a friend of the show and has been a guest on Cancel Me Daddy a few times and was on our recent very popular Johnny Depp episode. Today, he's here to talk to us about the attack on the author Salman Rushdie. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm glad that I could process this with you because I still don't really know what I think about all of the discourse that happened. The discourse around this was wild, wasn't it? Like, so for those who don't know, um, the author Salman Rushdie was attacked. um, What was it? uh, Two weekends ago, I want to say very serious attack. Like uh, he's been in the hospital. I don't know if he's still in the hospital or not, but he, there's quite a bit of damage to, different parts to his body um, that he sustained in the attack. And of course, he uh, famously, um, the Iranian Ayatollah issued a fatwa for um, the death of of Rushdie back in 1989. I'm sort of fascinated by the discourse that has popped up about this, particularly the fact that you ended up in the middle of it. Uh, oh very God. oddly do you want, do you want <laughs> was... to tell us about that because like i saw this play out on twitter and i was like okay first of all what the hell second of all we should get it back on the show <laughs> <laughs> my tweets were like a little clarion call it's like a little siren song like <laughs> <laughs> it's putting up the the cmd signal <laughs> it's just a big x in the sky <laughs> So I'm still mad about this because I was on vacation. I was hiking in Scotland and I had promised my boyfriend that I wasn't going to work. So I like didn't bring my laptop. I was like being a good boyfriend. And then Mm -hmm. we were out hiking, like doing vacation stuff. And like, yeah, I had seen the news about Salman Rushdie, which is like just an unambiguously sad, terrible story. It's like, it's awful. I read that. That book was actually really important to me in college. He like it, it. It's something that it's like I didn't feel the need to say anything about because it's like it's so obvious that like authors being stabbed is is really bad. Like I have nothing to contribute to this discourse <laughs> particularly, and then I started seeing these like mentions popping up about my name being pulled into this. So I then saw that one of the sort of the I don't want to say any names because I don't want to like relitigate Twitter stuff, but like one of the people who is on the other end of the cancel culture debate than we are, I saw this person tweeted, can't wait to hear from the likes of Michael Hobbs about how the Rushdie stabbing is just consequence culture and the real tragedy is the harm he caused to marginalized people. So keep in mind, I was on vacation. I had not... (laughs) 
I had not said anything. This was not based on any like feelings that I had expressed or any like anything close to mm-hmm. it. This was basically based on things I have said on this show before, things I've said in print and on various other podcasts about how I think that cancel culture is a moral panic. I don't need to explain to any of the listeners of the show what my perspective on this is, but I think yeah. the whole thing is is wildly overblown. And so we then got a couple days of kind of blaming the Salman Rushdie attack on people like me who had said that like I I don't consider it to be a national crisis when like a guy is invited to MIT to give a lecture and then he's uninvited because he wrote mm-hmm. something racist in Newsweek. I Maybe you think that's good, or maybe you think that's bad, but to me, that's yeah. not really a threat to democracy. But because mm-hmm. I had made this point kind of most of the time that we have these little cancel culture flare-ups, I guess the idea is that like, well, obviously I support people being stabbed, and I'm about mm-hmm. to defend the guy who stabbed an author. <laughs> this then somehow kind of morphed into this weird thing where I... I actually was worried when I saw the news about Salman Rushdie because I thought it was going to spark a big wave of Islamophobia, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's like the kind of obvious mm-hmm. place to right. go, right? Like I was alive yeah. after 9-11. Like I, I know how these things yeah. play out. So I thought we were going to get a wave of that. But then somehow, and I think this is indicative of kind of where the right has gone and like what the priorities of the right are, it basically mm-hmm. became a debate about trans people. It immediately became a debate Wait, about how? Like, oh, that basically – the, the argument was you're, you're condemning the attack on Salman Rushdie, and yet mm-hmm. you're not condemning the attacks on J.K. Rowling. Oh, my this was God. Like, this was in print. This was an actual thing that many, many people were saying. This is let, – let me, let me read from – this is a Barry Weiss newsletter mm-hmm. that she sent out shortly after the attack that okay. is – headlined we ignored salman rushdie's warning words are not violence violence is violence and the piece concludes by saying the words are violence crowd is right about the power of language words can be vile disgusting offensive and dehumanizing they can make the speaker worthy of scorn protest and blistering criticism but the difference between civilization and barbarism is that civilization responds to words with words not knives or guns or fire That is the bright line. There can be no excuse for blurring that line, whether out of religious fanaticism or ideological orthodoxy of any other kind. Mm -hmm. Today, our culture is dominated by those who blur that line, those who lend credence to the idea that words, art, song lyrics, children's books, and op-eds are the same as violence. We're so used to this worldview and what it requires that we no longer notice. It's it's why we can count on one hand, Dave Chappelle, J.K. Rowling, those who show spine. The brain worms. The brain worms. So So many. (laughs) First of all, neither Dave Chappelle nor J.K. Rowling has been physically attacked. Exactly. Like, like. Well, actually, Dave Chappelle was on stage, but that seems more like a like a kind of a a mental illness thing. I don't know how like ideological that was. It wasn't. It wasn't political, from what I understood. It was more just like somebody looking for attention. Yeah. Um, and also, I condemn that attack. It's, it's also like, it's, right. that's also like, an so easy one. You shouldn't rush, you shouldn't bum rush people on the stage and tackle them. So it's not, it's, it's not like this is like a challenge to my worldview. It's like, yeah. people should not do this to people when they're giving a stand up comedy show. That's an easy one. And then, like the J.K. Rowling stuff, I've, I've looked into all of this stuff and 
Like I can't even verify that any of the tweets that have been highlighted that are supposedly from trans activists that threaten J.K. Rowling. I haven't been able to verify that any of them are actually trans people, first of all, first and foremost. Ah. Um, and second of all, there's just like random accounts on Twitter that could have been made by anybody, right? So it could be like a gender critical person creating an account to like pretend to be trans. Like it's not like verified trans people are like death right. to JK Rowling. Like I, I, I personally would not stand for that. Um, but like the, there's no comparison here between Rowling and Rushdie at all. And, and, yet. and the fact that they ran to <laughs> that <yet>. is really <laughs> pathetic to me, I think. Well, to me, it's this, it's this sort of fascinating thing where it's like, somehow they just have to make everything about trans rights, first of mm-hmm. all. And somehow they have to make everything about this much broader and like much stupider debate about cancel culture. Mm-hmm. When like, there isn't really a debate about whether or not it's okay to stab an author because yeah. you don't like their work. Like no one is on the side of, <laughs> of saying that's right. okay. Like it, I think it's telling that they had to make up an opinion of mine rather than pointing to like actual things that I've said <laughs> to, to find somebody who was saying this because obviously it's deranged to like, <laughs> to say that anybody deserves to be stabbed. Like even, even people yeah. I consider to be utterly odious, Alex Jones, people should not stab Alex Jones. You should not assassinate Alex Jones. Like this is really easy in every circumstance. Stabbing somebody for what they're saying is wrong. So there's never really been a debate about this. Maybe we could stab Alex Jones in like the pinky toe. I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. Please don't clip that. <laughs> I mean, you know that's going to be taken out of context. Lynn um, Burns finally admits it. Okay, so I, I have a thought that might be bad. And I'm going to mm-hmm. say it. And y'all can tell me if it's bad or not. Okay. okay. <laughs> but to me, like this idea that that this is comparable to the attack, the quote unquote attacks, because they're they're just some tweets. They're just some people being mad at someone for saying transphobic shit um, on J.K. Rowling or Dave Chappelle is equivalent to this. That there's any kind of like equivalency there makes no sense. But where the comparison actually does make sense is the attacks on trans people that spur from their speech. To me. Well, what's so interesting about the argument that Barry Weiss is making and that a lot of people were making in the week after the Rushdie attack is that it's this weird self-refuting argument where mm-hmm. she's basically saying that people like us, by comparing words to violence, by saying that words can be a form of violence, mm-hmm. we have created an atmosphere where people can't distinguish between words and violence and an actual act of violence gets kind of muddied up with all of these, you know, things that people are saying, right? We, we've mm-hmm. we've conflated speech and action, right? Mm-hmm. And yet, so so basically, words have created a climate that made violence more possible. That's essentially the argument that she's making. But she refuses to consider the argument that people like J.K. Rowling and Dave Chappelle are also creating a climate where violence is more possible. This is the argument that we have been making the whole time, is that I don't think I've ever said that words are violence. I don't, I don't know that anybody has ever argued that words are literally indistinguishable from any form of violence. I think that it's nuanced. But the entire point 
has always been that words go out into a context and that words cannot be separated completely from the outcomes of those words. So it's like they've completely changed their argument and they're now saying that basically that people like us are responsible for Salman Rushdie being stabbed, even though that has nothing to do with anything we've ever said. Like it, it was an Islamicist that did it. Like it's, it, the specifics of his situation really matter. Yeah. But then their own work, constantly saying that trans people don't exist, that doesn't create an environment in which violence against trans people becomes more likely. So it just like collapses in on itself like a little neutron star. And I think that this this gets at something that one of our listeners said when we let them know that we were going to be doing a show on this. Basically, they said... Um, the thing is, the Rush G case shows the limits and dangers of free speech as much as the importance of it. You know, when the fatwa was issued... Was that exercising a right to free speech? So we agree that harmful speech is a thing. So really, this is a debate about what forms of harmful speech should be tolerated. And really, this is about people wanting to keep saying harmful things about trans people. The entire cancel culture debate has always been a debate about that. And one one of the most frustrating things about this is that it has taken the form of this abstract principle. I'm against canceling. Right. Regard. Oh, I don't necessarily agree with what Dave Chappelle is saying. I don't want to debate what Dave Chappelle is saying, but it's wrong to cancel Dave Chappelle. Right. right. So the whole idea is that other forms of cancellation should be in the same category as stabbing. Like I am comfortable with saying in 100 percent of cases when an author gets stabbed, it's bad. Right. Mm-hmm. They want to put every other form of cancellation, such as the the people promoting the cancel culture moral panic have -hmm. been kind of pretending to make the argument or on the surface making the argument that other forms of cancellations should be in that same category. It's never okay to cancel somebody. But that's absurd and they don't actually believe that. Like nobody actually believes that, right? Like protesting a speaker is in a completely different category than stabbing somebody, very obviously. So when we're talking about consequences for speech, the answer for Almost everything below violence, everything that isn't a form of violence, if that's somebody being fired from their job, somebody being kicked off of Twitter, somebody having a lecture canceled, the answer to whether that is justified or not is always, it depends. It depends on the specific circumstances of that case. It always has, that is their belief, that is my belief, that is your belief, that is everybody's belief. Like bad speech should be deplatformed and good speech shouldn't, right? And everything comes down Mm -hmm. to your specific definition of what good and bad speech are. That's always what this was. Right. right. So, and that and that's always been the debate too. It's like these people want their bad speech to be considered good and they want other right. spe- people's good speech to be considered bad. And we have a different frame of reference. So we look at it differently where we right. think their speech is bad and our speech is good. And it's really just two people saying, no, you're bad. No, you're bad. No, you're bad. Right. <laughs> Back and forth at each other. Um, and, and, but the infuriating part is the moral panickers, um, are trying to like institute a more heavy handed, like moral framework on all of this that doesn't really work in reality. Well, this is, I, I think the entire years long thing now has been an attempt to avoid talking about the speech they're actually defending because mm-hmm. we know when these kind of center-left reactionary centrist meltdowns happen. It's almost always when somebody experiences consequences for racist 
or transphobic speech, right? It's like, let's measure mm-hmm. some skulls. Everybody gets mad and they're like, oh, it's cancel culture. And I think <laughs> the I think the non-chicken shit way to defend somebody like J.K. Rowling would be, I agree with her views. Trans mm-hmm. people don't exist, basically, and here's why, right? Make the argument, fine. Yeah. But instead of making the argument because they don't necessarily want to admit what their views are, they then say, oh, 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 it's it's – I don't necessarily agree with what J.K. Rowling says, or let's put aside what J.K. Rowling says. It's totally, it's it's never okay to yell at somebody online, which isn't somebody, <laughs> that's not something that they believe. That's not something I believe. Right. That's not something anybody believes. Some people deserve to get yelled at online and some people don't. And it depends on what they say, right? But the whole thing is just like, let's let's put a curtain over the content of the views and let's have this meta debate about like procedures. Right. But, the, the consequences for speech that actually go in that bucket where it doesn't matter the content is very small, right? Like, yeah, you shouldn't be assassinated for your speech. You shouldn't be stabbed. Other forms of yeah. violence. Most other stuff. Should you be fired for your speech? Well, sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> it depends, depends on your job. It depends on the speech. It depends on lots of stuff. So it's just not it, – it, it's – this is the most kind of frustrating and tedious thing about this debate is that it's not an honest debate because yeah. we're not debating the same thing. And it's always so one-sided when they present it, too, because, like, I bet I get just as many death threats for things that I write as J.K. Rowling does. Sure, or, me too. Or, or close to it. Um, but I never see anybody saying, no, no, you shouldn't you shouldn't threaten Caitlin Burns. <laughs> well, that's, that's another thing that's so weird about this whole thing is that, like, first of all, I've, I've never heard anyone, even privately, defend the death threats against J.K. Rowling. I've never heard anyone say, like, I hope something bad like physically happens to her in the world i've never seen that right i've only ever heard like prominent trans commentators being like stop threatening jk rowling like this this is (laughs) this is an easy one like death threats are not okay right but then jk rowling is not the only author that receives death threats like receiving death threats is an almost universal feature (laughs) of being a public figure online and i don't want to minimize yeah what she has received I, i i don't want to minimize what anybody's gone through but unfortunately being a person on the internet often includes getting death threats. So it's very odd that we're constantly being told that we we should care and it's it's an emergency that this one person is getting death threats and yet everyone else who's getting death threats we, we, we hear no concern about. Hmm. Yeah. Question for you. Uh, can words be violent? <laughs> <laughs> This is what this is what you guys really want to talk about. <laughs> I think this is the deeper sort of meta discussion that um, I find interesting about all of this. I think I have a good answer to this. I've been thinking about this a lot because I've been thinking a lot about the misinformation environment that we're in specifically in regards to trans people um, because of huh, my job. And, you know, we, we have a culture from... Like there's so much misinformation that's being spread by the far right about trans people. And those are words, right? The misinformation is is words. I think that speech on a mass, especially on a mass scale, right, when we're talking about not just an individual can be violence and can incite a lot of violence. And I think that when, you know, public figures and people with a huge platform 
are attacking a community, like that can kind of instigate some of that misinformation. And so I think that it is different from physical violence, but I actually think that it can have an effect on more than just one person, whereas like a physical violent attack is just one person. And so I actually think that sometimes, depending on the context, like words can can actually be more harmful because the the ripple effects of it and how widespread the violence that comes from it can be. Um, so that's that's kind of my take, I think. Caitlin, what do you think? I mean, I think uh, I think yelling fire in a crowded theater when there's no fire is certainly a form of violence. Um, because there's a foreseeable outcome um, and there's a history that shows that people will get trampled in that situation um, and they're like causing panic in people purposely I think can be violent and you can do that through words so I think in some contexts there can be words as violence I would find it very difficult to find examples of like newspaper columnists words being literal violence i think they can incite violence very easily and i think the environment that we're living in now certainly proves that um i think issuing the fatwa against salman rushdie uh is certainly inciting violence um so you can consider you know that like an a violent act because of the authority that was behind it but like I don't think Twitter randos making death threats necessarily is a specific form of violence. I think it's a threat of violence, which should be taken seriously, especially in this day and age. I mean, I don't know if you've seen what happened with the Twitch streamer Keffels, who's trans. Yeah. yeah. Who's been doxxed like three or four times just in the last couple of weeks. Like, yeah, and swatted, which like has led to people's deaths. So it's and like swatted, which has led to people's yeah. deaths. Like, those are all acts of violence that were prompted by words that were right. spoken by right. somebody. Right. Right. But I don't know that I would go so far as to say those words themselves are violence. Right. Um, Cause that's just not a line that I am willing to cross at this time. Right. Um, I mean, I think there's a real question of like, I, I think the presumption of many of the articles that came out after this rusty rowling conflation sort of made it seem as if the idea words are violence has become this hegemonic idea on the left, right? And that it's it's sort of the left's fault for relentlessly saying words are violence. And I, I looked around, I was not able to find like uh, all that much evidence that it's a hegemonic idea. I mean, I definitely, like I, I found there was a USA Today article saying that, you know, when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars, that's obviously an act of violence, but Chris Rock's joke about Jada Pinkett Smith was also an act of violence. Like that's the the kind of joke that he was telling was also an act of violence. I don't think I agree with that to be honest, but there's that 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 discourse is visible. Like there that is that discourse does exist on the left. But then what but then even in that article the author was the author took pains to distinguish even within violence, there's different forms of violence mm, and there's mm-hmm. different severity of violence. So even if you do classify the joke about Jada Pinkett Smith as a form of violence, slapping somebody is a worse form of violence. That's an escalation of the violence, right? Mm-hmm. So right. to me, I think the underlying claim that like, oh, the left is conflating words and violence 
presumes that once you conflate words and violence, you can no longer distinguish between words and like physical violence. And that to me is ridiculous. (laughs) That to me is deranged. Like even, even within the category of violence, right? There's, there's, there's blurred lines. I think that there are people who would consider putting a pie in Anita Bryant's face to be a form of violence. I think some people would consider that violence. Some people wouldn't consider that violence because she wasn't like sort of permanently harmed or whatever. But even Mm -hmm. if you do consider it a form of violence, you would also probably distinguish it from punching Anita Bryant, you would distinguish it between stabbing her or murdering her. Like even within the category of violence, there's huge differences. Right. So to me, I I don't I I'm I, I don't think I've ever actually said words are violence, regardless of me getting pulled <laughs> into this fucking thing while I was on vacation. But I I don't actually think that I'm one of the people who has done this. But even for even for people who do that, yeah. it's not clear to me that those people are then incapable of seeing worse forms of violence as worse, right? Or that they're going to then retaliate against those words with physical violence and not be able to see the difference. I think ironically, it's the, I'm going to call them the moral panickers. <laughs> Do it. Um, I think the moral panickers are the ones who are saying words are violence by conflating, you know, what has been sent at JK Rowling and what, happened to Salman Rushdie. Like, I think making that conflation is you categorically claiming that words are violence. And you, I would say to them that they are the ones who are, um, who are making that conflation, not necessarily the left because the left has been out here. Like, I don't know anybody on the left who is like, Oh good. Salman Rushdie got stabbed. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think people really wanted that take. They wanted somebody to do it so that they would have someone to shout at and be like, see, this is what it's always led to. And no one did it. (laughs) Most people, like most people, like really, I I mean, I looked around on Twitter, like, yeah, you could find a couple of random people saying deranged stuff about Salman Rushdie. What really struck me about it is that as we've always seen with this cancel culture discourse, it's always based on this, like, what if, right? Like, what Mm -hmm. if? the left starts saying words are violence and soon we can't even distinguish between words and violence, right? It's always this what's if stuff. Mm -hmm. But then when you look around the actual country in 2022, who are the groups that cannot distinguish between words and violence, right? Who are the people who are sending death threats to politicians? Who are the people that are like hounding flight attendants and public health workers and teachers and nurses out of their profession, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's not left-wing people. So it's like, it's very odd to be seeing these arguments when we're in the middle of a measurable wave of like entrepreneurial violence, almost overwhelmingly by right-wing people, right? We Mm -hmm. had, we had a fucking mass shooting in Buffalo, like a white supremacist mass shooting, what, two months ago? That has kind of like already been memory hold. And like, we're, (laughs) we had like, there was a mayor in Oklahoma who had to leave his job because of- homophobic death threats we just mm-hmm. had the swatting of this trans twitch streamer we've seen i think hate crimes against trans people have quadrupled in the last four years maybe it's quintupled mm-hmm. it depends on the country i mean boston boston children's hospital the death threats against them yeah 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 exactly the same week and so <laughs> we're seeing this these these constant actual threats of violence and like real violence happening to people mm-hmm. my own house rep pramila jayapal a guy was outside of her house yelling racial slurs with a pellet gun and he had to be arrested. So like the people that are not able to distinguish between (laughs) words and real life, it's very clear who those people are. And it's, it was so telling to me 
that this thing that has nothing to do with trans people or leftists or college students or anything happens and we get into the same stupid argument about fucking college sophomores again when there's literally they nothing could be further from relevance in this case right we had if if anything if you want to make a try hard comparison between Rushdie and current events, this was a religious fundamentalist. This was a religious traditionalist Mm -hmm. (laughs) who did this to him. Where do we see religious traditionalists trying to impose their views on society right now? Like, I don't know why we're talking about trans people on Twitter when it's like, uh, could we, could we make like the really obvious comparison? And I wasn't (laughs) even like, I, I, I think that's a little bit of a try hard comparison. I think that these specifics of Rushdie's case matter, but it's like, if we're going to make a try hard comparison, we're leapfrogging the obvious one and we're going to like the dumbest one imaginable. Yeah. Well, it's because, and I've said this before, but like once you go turf, you like never post normal again. And like, so I've said this before, like, um, and I used to get laughed at because nobody believes me, but I I really have felt vindicated recently. But like once your space in like welcomes turfs, like eventually it'll just be a turf space. It's like the old, it's like the punk, the punk bar Nazi yeah, yeah, story yeah, yeah. years ago. Yeah. It's the same, the same general idea. Like those, those people, they only think obsessively about trans people. And so eventually everything that happens around them has to do with trans people. And you're seeing that here. Like, I don't even think Salman Rushdie has ever commented about trans people. Like not that I've that seen I'm aware no. of. So like, what the hell, man? Why are you bringing us into it? <laughs> I do think that the like, I don't know, I guess the thing that I'm I'm questioning is like when there is like a dedicated like fascist movement to erasing a group of people, right? And people are joining in on that. Is that perpetuating violence in some way? Right? Because that that's what's happening with trans people right now. Um, and so, mm-hmm. and it's not, it's not directly, the speech isn't directly physical violence, but it incites violence. And it, it is a, it's part of a concerted effort to erase right. a group of people, which is genocide, right? I, I try to declare myself Switzerland in like all semantic arguments on the left, because I, I worked in human rights for 11 years, meaning I engaged in semantic arguments for like most of my career. This yes. course is bad. This course is bad. <laughs> that's, that's what you do when you work at like left-wing fields. But to me, I mean, one thing I will say is that I I have been called anti-gay slurs five or six times in my life, and it it feels different. Like being called a faggot feels different than being called a jerk or an asshole or fuck off or any of the other things that I've been called. It's different, right? Mm-hmm. I personally don't classify that differentness as violence. I don't mm-hmm. necessarily say that that word is violence, but other people and other words, if other people want to classify that as violence and consider that a form of violence against them, I'm not going to spend a lot of my time scolding those people. It's a different way of looking at it, but I think we agree that it's a different category yeah. of speech, right? That kind of speech. And so to me, it's like a lot of this stuff feels like it really does come back to semantics, right? That I think it's it's pretty incontrovertible that words can lead to violence Words can inspire violence. Like words can have these like very direct relationships to violence. If for you, you want to classify that as like words are violence. Like that's that's the sort of the rhetoric that you want to use. Oh, I don't. I, yeah, I'm talking about something different, but. 
Yeah, I'm talking about like, like the right has this like concerted effort to erase trans people. Like it's part of the Christian nationalist movement. They don't want trans people to exist. That's where all of these bills are coming from. That's where all of this rhetoric is coming from. And they have spread misinformation through their right wing platforms. And it started to be picked up by progressive media. And so progressive folks are like, like dumb asses who are perpetuating Christian nationalism in our culture. And it's part of a fascist mm-hmm. movement to get rid of trans people. Um, and so it's not like, oh, I'm being called a slur. It's like there's actually an effort to get rid of my existence. Right. I'll I'll give you one. Uh, I think calling an LGBT person a groomer is an act of violence, actually. Yeah, mm. it's a form of defamation, which I think courts would rule is uh, can cause a form of harm. Sure. Um, so I, I personally think, yeah, calling an LGBT person a groomer can and should be considered a a form of violence, but I wouldn't put it at the same level as like, you know, Rushdie getting stabbed because right. those are obviously right. on two different levels. Right. 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 Um, and if somebody calls somebody else a groomer and that person pulls out a gun and shoots them, you're not, not going to okay. say, like, well, these, these two things are the same to me. Like there's right, obviously exactly. an escalation. <laughs> like, cause to me, I, I think it's like these, I, I, I tend to sort of let people call things what they want to call things, but yeah. I, I don't think that we're seeing in society a big problem with left-wing people failing to recognize violence for what it is. Right. Even if, even if you do classify that as violence, it's very obviously a different form of violence than what Rushdie experienced. So it's like, at, at the end of the day, with all of this discourse, it's like, well, what's the actual problem on the left? <laughs> right? Like, maybe, maybe you agree with that wording, and maybe you don't. But conceptually, I'm not seeing people that are, you know, adults <laughs> who can't distinguish between words and physical violence. Like, that just doesn't seem like an actual problem to me. And there's no, the, there's lots of evidence that there's bigger problems with speech right now in America. So, Caitlin, are you ready for some out-of-context cancellations? Always. Always. Okay, so we are going to cancel Elon Musk. Again? <laughs> look, look, this, this, this episode is about canceling the usual suspects. Okay? Oh, my God. <laughs> We could just we could just make a weekly show about canceling Elon Musk. We'd have enough content for it. <laughs> I don't want to spend that kind of brain space on that man. I almost spit out all my coffee just now. <laughs> <laughs> hey Oliver, how about we cancel the CDC while we're at it? Yeah, I don't know why we're canceling them in this moment, but they're bad with COVID. They're fucking up monkeypox. Um, they're fat phobic. Like, like we we could just go on and on and on about the reasons we want to cancel the CDC. So, like, I'm here for it. Yeah, I think this one is particularly COVID related, but uh, again, this out of context cancellation. So, who would we be to give you context for these out of context cancellations? A very timely one for you, Caitlin. Our next yes. one is canceling moving. Yeah, and this one, I promise, did not come from me. <laughs> Look, everyone fucking hates moving. It is, it sucks. Moving it's, is great once it's over. <laughs> I mean, 
I'm a year and a half into a new apartment. It is not over. So sometimes it never ends. I just like, you know, sometimes it takes a long time to set up a room. Like I, you know, I have the, I have like what I need, Uh but my office is still such a mess. I haven't haven't gotten it right. My office is the only organized part of my whole house. (laughs) I just executive dysfunction, Uh um, disability, chronic pain, and working too much. Oh dear. (laughs) So the mix of those things. Bad news. Uh, Next, we're going to cancel internalized fat phobia. And I really feel this one like, yeah, really hard. Like I, I've, I've moved, I have friends around here and I'm really feeling how out of shape I am uh, and definitely feeling the internalized fat phobia. So whichever listener suggested this one, my heart goes out to you. Our last out of context cancellation today. One of our listeners wanted us to cancel their cat for continuing to bite them despite all of the attempts at trying to get her to stop. And I hear that, but like, I don't cancel cats. Like the cancel daddy thinks all cats are precious and wonderful creatures that that cannot be canceled. They just need love. Um, so, so I, yeah. I, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to cancel your cat. Can we cancel cat bites? I, I sometimes like it when my cat gives me a little nipple. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> How about cat, cat bites, that, bites hurt? that hurt? Um. Okay. We Yeah, we can cancel <laughs> cat bites that hurt, I guess. I, I guess. guess. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I just love cats and they don't get canceled and should have autonomy. But I guess I guess they shouldn't bite hard. Okay, unless it's in self-defense and you're harassing them, then you deserve to get your cat. That's true. Then you deserve it. Then you deserve the cat bite and maybe you should be canceled. Yeah. But if, if you're not doing anything to provoke the kitty, then we can cancel the cat bites. <laughs> or if the cat has like rabies or something, you know? If you wanted to send us like out of context cancellation, you can do that through our Discord. You can get Discord access by supporting us on Patreon. There's also the option to just tip us one or three dollars a month or get episodes early, things like that. Or even be listed in our written or spoken show credits. And your support helps us become a weekly show. You can join our community and learn more about other perks at www.patreon.com slash cancelmedaddy. Today's show was made by me, Oliver Ash Klein, and my fabulous co-host, Caitlin Burns. Daniel Petersmith made our theme song and Eden MW designed our graphics. Our show is made possible by the incredible cancelers supporting our work, especially the member of our Cancelor Hall of Fame with the great power to cancel all enemies, Matt. We appreciate your support. Happy canceling.